as we continue to make our way through uh, this book of the Bible, verse by verse. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, uh, we're picking it up in verse 27 this morning. Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 27 through 36. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. God's word says to us, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This is the reading of God's good and perfect and holy word. All God's people say, Amen. Imagine with me for a moment that you're living in this strange, upside-down world. A strange world where in order to go up the stairs, you actually need to go down them. That's pretty strange, huh? Or where in order to pull a door open, you need to push it. Or you're driving in your car, and in order to turn left, you turn right. And if you want to slow down, you hit the gas. And if you want to go faster, you you hit the brakes. That'd be kind of confusing, wouldn't it? Very confusing. Be kind of weird. Quite frankly, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has been doing as we've been making our way through this and those the woes and the blessings we've talked about for the last few weeks, Jesus is turning us right side up. And what we've discovered is that we were looking at things upside down, as if push is pull and right is left and and those kind of things. A sin had so deformed us and warped us and flipped our world around that we couldn't see straight, think straight, and we would actually call Blessed, what Jesus calls woe, and we would call woe what Jesus calls blessed. But Jesus says, hey, if you follow me, if, if you are a disciple of mine, this is how you live life. And he's teaching us right-side-up living in an upside-down world. And so for us, push is pull, and right is left, and so on. That takes some getting used to, doesn't it? It takes a lot of focus, it takes a lot of intentionality, but that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching. This, this great reversal, and uh, quite honestly, in our text this morning, he lays down the greatest reversal of all. I'm sure you caught it. His opening words there are, love your enemies. <laughs> Do good to those who what? Hate you. And bless those who curse you. And pray for them who mistreat you. He doesn't doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, don't even retaliate. When they treat you with injustice and and do these awful things to you, don't, don't return it to them. 
And if they should take something, don't demand it back. And if, if someone borrows something from you or you lend money to them, do so without expecting it back. Be merciful to those who are hateful and wicked, it ends by saying, right? How's that for a reversal? How's that for right and left and push and pull? Love your enemies, the Lord Jesus Christ says. And we want to ask, my word, who lives like that? Ignore them? Sure. Avoid them? Get payback? Absolutely. Love them? Are you kidding me? Love them. That goes against every fiber of our being. It's crazy. It's counterintuitive. <coughs> it's not how we <coughs> excuse me, tend to think. We are to love our enemies <clears throat> all for the sake of loving them as our Father in heaven loves them. <clears throat> Amazing. And we are to go on loving them even as they go on hating us. I'll just briefly get, get the nerd out of me as I get going here. These commands, there's four commands in in verse 27 um, and 28. Those four commands are present imperatives, which is to say present tense imperatives. They're commands that we are to do continually. So continue to love them, continue to bless them, continue to speak well of them, uh, continue to pray for them, continue to do good for them, even as they continue what? Hating you. And cursing you and mistreating you. That's the love, the radical love that the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to as followers of his. So let's, let's dig into it. I got three points, radical love, then surpassing love, and then we'll close it out with reflective love. A radical love is found in verses 27 to 31. And like I said, there's those four commands. And the very first command is love your enemies. And that's not a typo. Uh, they didn't goof on that. I, I know we expected to say, hate your enemies, or get vengeance on your enemies, or maybe even tolerate your enemies, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says, love your enemies, and love means seek their highest good. That's what love means, to seek out, to actively seek out their highest good. It means even though <laughs> they may insult you, treat you poorly, hate you, make your life miserable, you love them. You purposely go out of your way to seek their highest good while they seek your worst. That's what love your enemies means. <clears throat> Maybe your enemies in your life or maybe a, a bully at school or a teacher at college who gives you a hard time for your faith or even co-students at, at college who give you a hard time for your faith. It could be your boss at work, co-workers. Uh, it could even be a family member. It could be a neighbor. An enemy is, could be a number of different people. Whoever it is, love them. You may not like them, but you must love them. In fact, I want to bring that out for a moment. Jesus is not saying here, he's not commanding you to like your enemies. He's not commanding you to have a feeling towards your enemies. He's not commanding you to emote something towards your enemies. He is commanding your will to act, to love your enemies. Love them by blessing them and doing good for them and praying for them. That's important to bring out because you know as well as I know that when our world today hears love, they immediately put it synonymous with what? Feelings. That raises a lot of problems with our text if love means feelings. And Jesus is not saying that you should love your enemies who actively seek to hate you and destroy you the same way you love your husband or wife or children. He's not saying that. He's saying love them, which is to say act for their highest good regardless of how you feel about them. <laughs> refuse to get angry. Refuse to be bitter. Refuse to be build, filled with resentment. Refuse a hard heart. Instead, patiently, selflessly, sacrificially work for their highest good. 
That's the first command. There were some missionaries named the Staines, S-T-A-I-N-E-S. I think I'm saying that right. And uh, the father's name was Graham. He had two sons, Philip, who was ten, 10, and Timothy, who was six. Uh, they were missionaries in India. Uh, one day, uh, while they were doing their missionary labors in India, a group of radical Hindus trapped them in their car, lit it on fire, and they found three charred bodies closely being held together in the car. Well, that left the wife, I forget her name, and the daughter, whose name was Esther. Well, how do you think she felt? Maybe she wanted retaliation. Maybe she would leave, have nothing to do with India. I'm done with India. How do you think she felt? What do you think she did? She becomes a remarkable example of loving your enemies. Her response was actually found in every paper in India. She said, uh, just a few days after her husband and sons were, were martyred, she said, quote, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter. Neither am I angry. But I do have one great desire. That each citizen of this country would establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins then she says, let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. That's loving your enemies. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Her husband and two sons charred by the flames. She says, I'm not bitter, I'm not angry. Let's burn out the hate. And let's come to faith in Christ. Her daughter had a great perspective also. Her name again was Esther. She's 13 years old. And her words to it were, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. When asked if they're going to leave, she said, no, India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy for as long as I can. That's loving your enemies, isn't it? Loving our enemies. The second command that Jesus gives us is do good to those who hate you. And the word good here does not mean be nice, be polite, be kind. No, the word good there means seek out, again, that which will benefit them. Good means benefit. How can you benefit your enemy? It's not just being nice, again, it's, it's how can I actively benefit them with my life? It's looking out for their good, doing good for them, even though they have uh, the worst in mind for me. In the words of Romans and Paul in Romans 12, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't return evil for evil, return evil with good. That's what Jesus is saying here. See, uh, as people hate you, see that as an opportunity to do good. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them food. Good food. Not like McDonald's. You say, ha, 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 eat that McDonald's. You're going to get sick, right? Good food. If they're cold, you give them blankets, Again, uh, another remarkable example of that is, is a man by the name of Desmond Doss, and maybe you've heard of him. He's well known for uh, the events at Hexall Ridge. Hexall Ridge happened in Okinawa, Japan, May 5th, 1945. Hexall Ridge is a 400-foot steep cliff, and the Allies were pinned. They say the, the, the survival rate was 1 in 10. And Desmond <clears throat> joined the, the army uh, quite a bit before this and was very uh, active with his faith, didn't try and camouflage it or hide it. He was very, very active for the Lord, and he was mocked mercilessly by his fellow uh, fellow men in the army for his faith in Christ. Some would throw boots at him, some would insult him and curse him and say all sorts of awful things about him. And Desmond becomes a medic. And Desmond ends up again at Hexall Ridge. And there's a lot of death, a lot of shrapnel, a lot of, a lot of hardship. 
But Desmond knows Christ. And Desmond receives an idea from the Lord. I think you would give credit there. Uh, that he finds some rope and some, puts together the stretcher and starts finding wounded soldiers. And, and how he does this under, under bullets, blasting everywhere over him, I have no idea. But he gets 75 different men on that stretcher and bring, puts them down the cliff where they find safety. Well, one of those men, in fact, more than one of those men, were the very same men who were insulting him and attacking him and had all sorts of awful things to say about him. And yet he loved them and he did good for them. I think there's a lot of parallels there because the Christian life is a spiritual battle, is it not? And as you live for the Lord, Satan and his followers are going to attack and attack and attack. And that is opportunity for us to do good. To rescue the perishing. And it said, as Desmond was doing that, he would constantly pray to the Lord, Lord, just help me get one more. Help me get one more. He was doing good to his enemies who not too long ago had hated him and insulted him and reviled him. So I just want to challenge you here. I want you to think of someone in your life who you might consider as an enemy. Again, it could be a bully at school. It could be a customer who treats you poorly, a, a, a co-worker who knows how to push your buttons. It could be a, a member of your family, uh, close or distant. Think about that person, whoever that person is, whoever the Lord's putting on your heart, and ask yourself, how would I or how should I treat this person with the love of Christ? What would it look like to do good for that person? That's the question that I need to wrestle with and we all need to wrestle with. What, what would it look like for me to do something to seek out their highest good? Maybe you have a boss that you can't stand or they can't stand you, however that goes. Then show up early to work. Work your butt off at work. Stay late if you need to stay late. Give him a note of appreciation. Do whatever you have to do to do good to him or her, whoever that boss is. That's an example of it, right? <laughs> Maybe you have a neighbor who stinking lets their dog bark all hours of day and night and lets that dog wander and the dog poops in your yard. And your beautiful new roses or whatever that you just, or petunias. It's an enemy, right? <clears throat> what do you do? Well, you love them. You have them over for dinner. Take their dog for a walk. They have a garden. Help them plant their garden. You do good for them. You do good for them. Maybe there's a family member that is cold and distant or has become very bitter or judgmental towards you. I, I read this week of a man whose son-in-law divorced his daughter. They were married for quite a while, had four children together, and he just one day up and left her high and dry. It wasn't too long after that that this man who left uh, this, this guy's uh, daughter, so his son-in-law, uh, came down with brain cancer. <laughs> well, this, this dad, of the daughter who this man had left, he goes to visit him in the hospital while he's dying from brain cancer, shares the gospel with him, and praise God, he comes to faith in Christ. That's doing good to those who have been very hateful. That's especially hard as a father to have that happen to your daughter and to reach out to that man and love him that way. It's doing good to those who hate you. The next command is to bless those who curse you. You love your enemies. How do you love them? You do good for them, and you bless them as they curse you. Peter echoes this in 1 Peter 3, 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Paul echoes this also in Romans 12, 14, where the scriptures say, Bless those who persecute you, bless, and do not curse them. 
Of course, to curse is to wish evil upon them, or even stronger than that, to pray evil upon them, harm or injury upon them. And so when people are doing that to you and they wish harm or they pray harm and evil to come upon your life, the way you are to respond to that is to bless them, which is to say, speak well of them. Don't insult them. Don't uh, tear them a new one, you know. Don't, don't start uh, throwing insults at them and reviles at them. No, no, no. Bless them, which is the same word we use for eulogy in funerals. Eulogio, to say a blessing. That's the idea. You speak well of this person who is trying to curse you. You eulogize them, not in the sense that you want them to die, but you want to bless them. That's incredible, isn't it? And Jesus isn't saying that's optional. He's saying, no, that, that's what you do. If someone's cursing you, you speak well of them. Don't ever let anything negative come out of your mouth about them. Speak well about them. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We know the tongue has incredible power. Everything I've said and everything you've said all last week and this week to come and the rest of your life is either killing or it's giving life, right? It's pretty powerful to think about. Think about how many friendships and marriages and churches have been either restored or destroyed by words And so Jesus says, when you open your mouth, use your mouth, use your words, your lips, your tongue to bless, regardless of what they're saying about you. That doesn't matter. You bless them. Speak well of them. And don't stop there. Pray for them. That's the fourth command, right? Pray for them. Pray for those who mistreat you or abuse you or, again, insult you or revile you. Pray for them. Of course, that's what Jesus did on the cross, yes? They were mocking him. They were spitting on him. All sorts of awful things that they did to him. And as they were doing all those things, he cries out, Father, forgive them. Of course, I often think of Stephen uh, in these same regards, the first Christian martyr. He preached that sermon, and it so angered the crowd that they started doing what? started finding the biggest rocks they could find and started throwing at them at him and, and he, he stoned to death. Imagine being hit in the face with a rock and saying these words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Imagine that. And so we are called upon to pray for those who seek to mistreat us. And we've talked about people who are seeking to curse us. We, we've all heard that saying, sticks and bones, stones will break my bones, and words will never hurt me. My word, what a stupid saying. Because words, I, <clears throat> I can tell you, I would rather have my bones broken sometimes than some of the things that get said, right? It stings, and it takes a lot longer to heal. So here's people who are insulting you and mistreating you physically and mentally, the way they they perhaps put their hands on you or the way they talk to you, and your response to that is to pray for them. We're to pray for them, pray for their well-being, pray that their hearts would change, pray that they would turn and trust in Christ, pray that God would be merciful to them and redeem them. That's the radical love that Jesus commands upon us, love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them. And then Jesus kind of adds on some more. Uh, He gives four illustrations on on how this could play out in verses 29, 29 and 30. He says, essentially, if someone punches you on the jaw, the natural reaction, of course, is to strike back hard. Right? If someone hits you, you hit them back hard enough that they're not getting back up. Right? <laughs> That's how the world thinks. But Jesus says, no, you turn the other cheek, you let them hit that one too. <clears throat> if someone takes away your outer cloak, uh, he says in verse 29, which, by the way, is, is a real special thing for them, 
uh, that cloak. Most people only had one. They're poor. It was very, very rare to have more than one cloak. It was their blanket at nighttime or their pillow at nighttime. If it was really cold at nighttime, they would wear it. If it wasn't so cold, it became the pillow. Uh, the law bears out in the Old Testament that if someone takes your tunic and doesn't give it back to you by the evening, it has some pretty harsh things that will happen to you. It's taken pretty seriously, this cloak. So here Jesus says, if someone takes your cloak, do what? Take your shirt off and give that to him too, or her. That's what tunic means. It means their shirt. If someone begs from you, Jesus goes on to say in verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. If someone steals your goods, takes away your goods, verse 30, do not demand those things back. That's radical love. I do want to be quick to say here that I think Jesus can be easily misunderstood here when we take it out of context. And remember, we got to always see how all Scripture relates and, and think through all those things. That I, I don't think that Jesus is here offering up hard and fast rules to be obeyed. He is with the first four commands, but I think these are four illustrations that he's using to try and bring out a point. I think we make a mistake when we take the four illustrations in verses 29 and 30 and make those hard and fast rules. Let me flesh out what I mean by that. I don't think that Jesus is saying every time someone hits you, you should turn the cheek and let that person just pummel you. I don't think he's saying that. A woman who is being abused by her spouse should not turn the other cheek. She needs to call the police. I need to let church leadership know. Right? He's not saying that if a drug addict hits you up for money, you should give that money to them to keep their addiction going. I think there's other ways you can give to them, right, without encouraging their, their drug addiction. It is not Christ-like love to help a drug addict continue on with their drugs. So when he says, give to everyone who asks, I think you've got to take that in balance, Yes. We're not required to respond to every foolish, selfish request that is made of us. He's also not saying that we should just all become a bunch of nudists. Because <laughs> that's what would happen if we all gave our cloak and our tunics away. We'd all walk around naked. Pretty sure that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ wants. And can I hear a loud amen? <laughs> <clears throat> I believe what Jesus is doing with these four illustrations is describing an attitude of the heart that in the face of hate and insult and wrong, instead of giving in to anger or revenge, responds with generosity and patience and grace. So I think he's talking about an attitude, a radical attitude that stands out from all the other attitudes that are out there, that in the face of grievous mistreatment, shows radical patience and love and even generosity because it says when people take stuff from you, you're, you're still generous with it. You don't demand it back. I think that's the idea that's there. And I think verse 31 summarizes all of that very well. Verse 31 says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's famously known as the golden rule. I think it was roughly, roughly the 16th century where it started being called that. It's not Jesus who called that. That's just church history uh, that's called that for about 400 years, uh, the golden rule. Sadly, the golden rule, again, do as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Sadly, that is often misunderstood. Uh, Jesus is not saying, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. He's not saying, hey, you gratify my desires, I'll gratify your desires. Sometimes the way I hear people talk about that, it, it sounds a lot like karma. Jesus is not promoting or talking about karma. <clears throat> He's not even close to saying that. What is, what is this meant to be in verse 31? As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's meant to be a guiding ethical principle that helps you in everyday life. 
And so Jesus has given us these commands. Love your enemies, uh, speak well of them, you know, bless them, uh, don't curse them, <coughs> to pray for them, do good for them. He's given us those commands. He's given us four examples on how to do that. Don't hit back, uh, let people take stuff from you, and so on. Uh, but that's not covering all of life. As, as you live life, you're going to come into complex situations where you're not exactly sure what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Verse 31 is your fallback. No matter the situation you find yourself in, what you can always do is you can do for others what you want them to do to you, right? It's an ethical guiding principle that you can always fall back on regardless of your life situation. It cuts through the fog and shows you the right action to take. It's a call for me and for you to live thoughtless, thoughtfully, to live selflessly, to live in such a way that we consider not only ourselves but others. It's also a call to action. <laughs> um, with verse 31... Uh, I, I can hear a, a mom or a dad just saying something like, yes, if my spouse and my kids would just live by verse 31, how, how wonderful life would be in our home, right? <clears throat> but we don't get to point the finger here because it says, as you wish that others would do, do so to them. The call to action is on who? You. So maybe your spouse and your kids aren't doing this. What do you need to do? Do it, right? Maybe they're doing the exact opposite. Maybe your brother or sister or husband and wife are, are doing the exact opposite. They're very badly mistreating you. What you need to do is respond with treating them how you would like to be treated. See, it becomes this guiding principle uh, for all of our actions. It's a call to action. How about I say it this way? The, the golden rule in verse 31 is the death blow to selfishness. Amen? It's the death blow to selfishness. It's saying consider what's best for others and do it. It's the death blow to selfishness. It's the death blow to the spirit of victimhood that permeates our culture. My goodness, everyone's a victim. It's crazy. <laughs> everyone's a victim. What this text is is a death blow to dwelling on your past pain, dwelling on your past trauma, dwelling on your past circumstances. In fact, I want to I point something else out about these verses in general that really... Uh, no pun intended, struck me <laughs> as, I, as I studied that and think, thought on it. Do you notice that in this text that the, the disciples, it's implied, it's understood, are rubbing shoulders with their enemies? Did you pick up on that in our text? That, that Jesus doesn't expect us as disciples you know, as we live for him, we're, we're going to have enemies. We've talked about that. The wrong response to that is to go stick your head in the hole or to bury yourself in your house or some big castle that you find so that you never have to see these people again. You notice that about our text? Why would I say that? Because in order for your enemy to be able to hit you, unless they're like Inspector Gadget, and have that arm that can go however long it can go, you're right next to that person. You're within striking distance. You love your enemy. You're not avoiding them. You're within striking distance. How can you bless them? How can you speak well of them if they're 500 miles away or if you never leave your house or if you so isolate yourself you never see them again? You, you see what the text is bringing out? That we love our enemies by rubbing shoulders with them. We're, we're, we're around them. We spend time with them. <coughs> this entire passage, again, assumes that we are not holed up somewhere. I think that has wonderful implications for our vision statement as a church. Our vision statement as a church is we exist to multiply disciples until all of Barry and Elgin County are saturated with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That includes who? Our enemies. Our enemies. 
Imagine the kind of difference we can make to our culture, to our workplaces, to our homes, to our schools, if we are prepared to live out this radical love that seeks the highest good of those who hate us. What a difference. What a difference that would make. <coughs> well, that's radical love. Is that radical enough for you? <clears throat> How about surpassing love? Verses 32 through 34, we see surpassing love. Not only should it be radical, it should be surpassing. What do I mean by that? I simply mean what I think Jesus is bringing out here is that our love, our standard for love, should surpass that of the world's. I think that's Jesus' point in verses 32 through 34. He has three examples to bring it out, and they each, they each hit hard. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Jesus is saying it is easy to love those who love you. Everyone does it. If someone loves you, you love them. There's nothing gracious about that or surpassing or amazing about that. It does not take a transformed heart to do that. If someone loves you and you love them back, Jesus is saying, big whoop, sinners do that too. Nazis love Nazis. <laughs> does your love surpass that? Right? How about the second one? <laughs> if you do good to those who do good to you, verse 33, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Again, we are usually kind and good and nice to those who are kind and good and nice to us, but there is nothing supernatural about that. Have you ever gone out of your way to help someone and they just seem totally uninterested or unthankful and your heart response is going to be or wants to be something like, well, I'm never doing that again. All right? But if you do something really nice for someone, let's say you mow their yard, then they come back and they mow your yard, that's really nice, big whoop. That's not a surpassing kind of love. <coughs> Our love should surpass that of sinners, those who are so lost in their sin. What's different about your love than the world in which we love? Again, it's, it's no big deal to show love and kindness to those who are loving and kind, <laughs> I have to say it this way, loving those who love you and being nice to those who are nice to you, that's the bottom barrel rung of love. That's the bottom barrel, bottom rung. <laughs> Quite frankly, <clears throat> it's self-love. That's what really hit me as I, as I studied through verses 32, 33, and 34. If you only love those who love you, that's called self-love. That's reciprocal love, right? If you only are kind to those who are kind back to you, if you only love those and they're loving back to you, that's self-love. That's not love, biblically. That's the world's understanding of love, right? But that's not Christian love. That's, again, just finding a way to serve yourself. Well, Jesus' third example is found in verse 34. It says, If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount back. Again, big deal. If you gave that person 100 bucks, you knew you were going to get it back somehow. <laughs> right? So those three examples, again, show how the world operates. It's the human standard of love. They love those who love them. They do good to those who do good to them. They give to those who give back to them. It's bare minimum love. And we as Christians are called to the surpassing love. We should be better than that. Our love should set us apart. Our love should be different from the world. Our love should be that which raises eyebrows and makes people sit up and pay attention. Like, who loves like that? Who does that? Who, who lends out $1,000 or $2,000 or $500, whatever number you want to sit, stay in there and, and doesn't demand that back? Just does it out of the love and the goodness of their heart. And who especially does that for their enemies? See, that's, that's Jesus' point here, that our love should surpass the world in which we love, live, should go the extra mile. It's not enough just to love church people, and we, 
in our uh, disruption power class this morning, we talked about the family metaphor, the church as a family, and we talked about how uh, hard it can be sometimes to love church, church family, how good it can be also, but also sometimes it's hard. But it's not enough just to love church people. It's not enough just to love people because they vote the same way you vote or they like the same sports that you like. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing transformational about that. You're just doing what comes naturally. But when you love those who curse you and hate you and abuse you and expect nothing back for doing it, that's surpassing love. That's love that makes the world sit up and take notice. You clicking with it? Radical love, surpassing love. Point number three. Reflective love. <coughs> I can't read minds. I sometimes like to joke around with people. They'll ask me as I was, after I preach, did you hear me say that or did you see me do that? And I always try and tell people, well, this, this, as a pastor, you get a spiritual gift. You hear and you see everything. It's a blessing and it's a curse. <coughs> but seriously, you know I can't read minds. I praise God I can't read minds. I praise God you can't read my mind. <clears throat> but I'm willing to bet that there are some people here who may be thinking to themselves, nope, I can't love like that. I can't do that. I just can't. I've, I've, I've been hurt way too many times. Pastor Andrew, you don't understand the things these people have done to me. I cannot love them that way. I'm willing to bet there's someone here thinking that. And Jesus gives us encouragement. Verse 35, he says, kind of summarizes it all up. Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return. And he gives us two points of encouragement. Number one, your reward will be great. You know, when, when, when we love our enemies, there's no promise that they're going to return that back. In fact, they're probably not. In fact, sometimes as you love your enemies, they hate you even more because you're being so loving to them, right? It, it, they despise it. So as you love your enemies, there, there's no promise that they're going to change. But there is a promise that even though they might go on hating you and cursing you and reviling you and be ill will towards you, Jesus says you will receive a great reward in heaven. That's meant to encourage us and inspire us. <coughs> but he also says, you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, which is to say, when you love your enemies, when you do good for them, when you bless them, and you pray for them, and you lend things out, expecting nothing in return, that when you are doing that, you are reflecting the love of the Father who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so you prove yourself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, love does not begin with you. We don't define it. It begins with God. God defines it. He exemplified it. God is love. It is his character. He acts with love toward an undeserving world to save the world from their sins. And he tells us, 1 John 3, if you love God, you will love others. They go together. So love for others, even our enemies, is the outflow of God's love for you. Remember Romans 5, 8? Romans 5.8 says that while we were unjust, ungodly, helpless, hopeless sinners, unable to save ourselves, we were at enmity with him. We were his enemies. While all of that was cooking, all that was going on, God loved you. How do we know that? Because he sent his son to die for those sins. At just the right time, when you were ungodly, at enmity with him, he loved you with this perfect love through his son, Jesus Christ. And so if that's you this morning and you're saying, nope, I, I, I can't love people like that, I've been hurt too much, Jesus is looking at you and he is saying, isn't that exactly what I did for you? I know they've sinned against you. I know they've hurt you. I know they've done these things to you. But it doesn't even come close to what they did to the Savior, to the Father in heaven, and yet he loved us. 
Yeah, he blessed us. He prayed for us. He prayed for you on that cross. He took the initiative. Praise God, he took initiative. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but if I was to walk up there to the, the OBC cemetery, prayer, not, is that the Prairieville Cemetery? No. If I was to walk up to that cemetery, I'm really bad with directions in case you can't tell in geography. <clears throat> but if I was to walk up there and, and try and command those dead people to live and do something, I don't think anything's going to happen. I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all if you have loved ones that are up there, but dead people don't do things. Dead people are dead. We are spiritually dead apart from the, the saving, regenerating, life-giving work of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God in love took initiative and loved us while we were sinful, dead in our sins, enemies. What a savior. So if you know the love of Jesus, we cannot hold that love back from our enemies. We are to reflect his love. He first loved us, and now we seek to love others with his love. That's the challenge of our text, to go out and hold nothing back when it comes to our enemies. To take the initiative like our Heavenly Father took the initiative with us. And when you do that, you show yourself to be a son or a daughter of our Heavenly Father in heaven. And if after hearing that, you still have no desire to love your enemies, you wish uh, not to change or grow in your love for your enemies, that might very well mean you don't know God the way you think you know God that might very well mean you're still an enemy. That might very well mean you need to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. Have you done that? Are you trusting in him? Are you loving the way he loves? And let me also say this. I know I've said a lot this morning. We focus it on loving your enemies. But I think there's one more thing we can bring out. I briefly touched on this in, in our class this morning. But my goodness, if we're commanded to love our enemies this way, how much more should we love those who are not our enemies? Then ouch or an amen. If we're commanded to love our enemies, do good to our enemies, bless and not curse our enemies and pray for our enemies, how much more should you and I do that in our homes and in our workplaces and in our church with one another? Right? It makes sense, right? So when your spouse gives you the cold shoulder or the silent treatment, how are you going to react to that? You speak well of, that, of your spouse. You do good for your spouse. You pray for your spouse. Not in a bad way that I'm going to pray for you, my goodness. Not that kind of prayer. Now you're laughing because you do that, don't you? You do that. <laughs> but that's the way we're called to love. Your brother or your sister, they say mean, awful things. My goodness, I have three kids, I know. I was a kid too. I know the things I've said. I, I've been woken up at night before in tears remembering things I said to my brother Joel who lives out in California. <clears throat> we say awful things. And when that happens, how are you supposed to respond? Return with goodness and kindness. Bless them. Don't curse them. Don't return evil for evil. Don't escalate it. Overcome that with what? Good and love and kindness and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. That's the kind of love that we're called to. That's the kind of love that God the Father has exhibited towards us. And that's the kind of love we are to reflect. Let me drive that home a different way too. Not only is this true for our enemies, not only is this true for our, our wonderful family, our church family and immediate families. Listen, we're living in a day and age, you guys know this, but we're living in a day and age where we, because of what we believe and because of what scripture teaches, we are increasingly not popular. 
And we, as we speak the truth and live on these convictions, are increasingly the enemy. Right? You teach and preach and live what this says, this world is going to call you the enemy. What are you going to do when it's not someone out there who's the enemy, but you're the enemy? How should you respond then? Well, it doesn't change, does it? You bless those who curse you, and you do good to those who hate you, and you pray for them. That's what God calls upon us, because that's what God does for us. What a radical love. May the Lord Jesus Christ be pleased to work in my heart and each one of our hearts to live this kind of radical, surpassing, reflective love. And as we do so, may Orangeville Baptist Church be transformed. And may it flow out into the community and make our community raise their eyebrows and go, what kind of love is that? Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your radical, surpassing love that did not wait for us to take the initiative. Father, we had grievously, mightily, incomprehensibly sinned against you, offended your holiness. And your response to that was not to give us what we deserve but with great grace and patience and love, you drew us to yourself. And now we sing your praises. We can't praise you enough for this radical, surpassing love. But Lord, we know from the scriptures that's not enough. It's it's not just about, oh, how you love us, but oh, how now we are to love others. May that be the theme of my heart and the theme of each one of our hearts here. Not just, oh, how you've loved us, but oh, how we must love others with that same love. May we be a people who are known and who practice this radical, surpassing love. And as we do so, may we not think much of us, but may they think much of you. May it truly reflect upon you how we praise you that you are merciful to the unmerciful, that you are kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. O Lord, teach us. O Lord, help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.